Chapter 21 of the Submarine Boys on Duty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andrew E. Tebow. The Man Who Dropped the Glass. Early the next morning, there was, as might be imagined, a big stir of excitement in the fleet. First of all, one of the fleet patrol launches discovered the legend lettered in white on a gray background on the Lizen side. As soon as the matter was reported aboard, the executive officer, after ordering a side gangway lowered and going down close to the water's edge for a look, sent for the different watch officers of the night. Each was emphatic in the belief that the thing did not happen during his watch. Lieutenant McCree was one of the most positive. But Mr. McCree, urged the Lizen's executive officer, the time, 11.33 p.m., has been lettered on the ship's side with great distinctiveness. Still, that lieutenant was positive that the outrage hadn't been perpetrated during his deck watch. He had kept much too vigilant a watch for that. While the questioning of the watch officers was going on, the Lizen's captain appeared. He quizzed Mr. McCree unmercifully, and that officer of the early night watch began to look and feel most uncomfortable. There's but one thing to be done, first of all, stated the Lizen's commander, Captain Bigelow. Send a boat over to the Pollard to ask the people there if they have any explanation to offer. When the Lizen's launch came alongside Mr. Farnham, expecting the visit, assured the ensign in charge that he would go to the battleship at once to explain matters. Mr. Farnham did go. Captain Bigelow listened with an intensely grave face. Lieutenant McCree seemed to be in the depths of mortification, and his face was very red. There is but one thing to be done now, Mr. Farnham, declared Captain Bigelow, severely. We shall have to appear before Admiral Bentley on his flagship as soon as he will receive us. You must repeat your explanation to him. This, Mr. Farnham, was quite willing to do. Before the boat builder finished with his explanation to the fleet's commander, there was a very decided twinkle in Admiral Bentley's sharp old eyes. I accept your explanation, Mr. Farnham, that it was all a joke, smiled the Admiral. Of course, Jacob Farnham made haste to add, having perpetrated such a hoax, I shall charge myself with all of the expense of painting out the objectionable lettering. But I am not sure that will be necessary. Admiral Bentley laughed. The truth is, Mr. Farnham, your hoax on Mr. McCree has taught us a most excellent and valuable lesson about the sort of other work that a submarine might do against a battleship at anchor. The lesson is worth far more than the cost of the paint. Indeed, I shall not have the lettering on the losing side painted out until other officers of the fleet have been able to examine such a striking proof of the value of submarines. Yet I am extremely sorry for the feelings of Mr. McCree this morning. In truth, Lieutenant McCree was in for a most unmerciful tormenting by his brother officers. If there was one thing on which the lieutenant prided himself, it was upon the strictness of his deck watch. So the jest, jibes, and quips of his brother officers stung him deeply. Was the hoax your idea, Mr. Farnham? asked Admiral Bentley. No, sir. I am sorry to say that I am not often as brilliant as that. Then whose joke was it? It was the scheme of Captain Jack Benson, the Pollard's present commander. I have heard of your boyish captain, smiled Admiral Bentley. He must be a very resourceful young man. You're right in saying that, replied Farnham with warmth. Benson is altogether about the brightest boy I've ever met. For that matter, all three of the boys are unusually keen. Admiral Bentley consulted a memorandum book that lay on his desk before he went on. Mr. Farnham, if you've nothing in the way, I shall be extremely glad to have Mr. Pollard and yourself at luncheon at one o'clock this afternoon. But I shall feel much disappointed if you do not also bring along with you your youthful captain, Benson. Farnham promptly accepted, with great delight.
This all looked as though the Pollard would figure handsomely in the Admiral's forthcoming reports to Washington. Ere the morning was over, all the officers and men of the great war fleet were laughing at Lieutenant McCree. The newspaper correspondents with the fleet got a hold of the yarn, of course, and sent stories of their journals that helped to make the fame of the Pollard and of those who handled her. As for McCree, he kept out of sight all he could. It was months before his brother officers in the Navy would let him hear the last of the joke that had been played upon him. "'Has it hurt us any?' repeated Jacob Farnham, when he returned to the submarine. "'It has helped us wonderfully. And Jack, my boy, you're to lunch with the Admiral today.' In fact, that joke of Jack's was heard of in the halls of Congress later on. The significant fact of it all was that, while the Pollard had been maneuvered for the successful perpetration of the joke, neither of the other two submarines with the fleet was handy enough to be used in quite such a neat trick. When the United States Rear Admiral entertains guests at luncheon aboard its flagship, the affair is a stately one. When our three friends appeared at the table, there was several naval officers in attendance. I have been laughing a good deal today, Captain Benson, over the joke sprung on us last night, was Admiral Bentley's greeting. It was cleverly carried out, and with a great deal of skill and seamanship as well. It wasn't intended, sir, to be so much a joke as a demonstration of what our boat can accomplish, Jack replied modestly. I haven't lost sight of the practical side of the affair, I assure you, rejoined the Admiral, but I am afraid I have wounded one heart, McCree's. Then I am very sorry, replied Jack quickly. I had hoped he would feel as much like laughing as anyone. Mr. McCree might feel more like laughing if it wasn't for the fact that his brother officers insist on doing his laughing for him, chuckled the Admiral. The talk now turned upon the Pollard's construction, which the inventor explained, while Jacob Farnham threw in a few words now and then. Captain Jack had the good taste to remain silent during the discussion. Admiral Bentley asked many questions, appeared deeply interested, and promised to make a thorough trip of inspection aboard the submarine. The time may come, of course, said the Admiral musingly, when a flag officer will have to take his headquarters aboard such a little craft. For the day may not be far distant when battleships will be too cumbrous and too costly to be risked any more at sea when a nation is engaged in war. That's our captain's view of the possibilities, nodded Mr. Farnham. It will be a sad blow to some of us old salts, laughed the Admiral. It isn't likely to strike me, of course. I shall be retired and done with the service before the big battleship becomes as useless in war as a ferry boat. But you, Captain Benson, will very likely live to see the day when the battleships will be sold for freight steamers. By the way, my young friend, what is your age? Sixteen. Why, you are young enough to enter Annapolis. With your bent for things naval, why don't you try to interest your home congressman in appointing you as a cadet? If the battleship is to go, sir the youngster, or even if the submarine is to become a vastly more important craft, it seems to me that I shall be seizing the biggest chance by staying right with Mr. Farnham and Mr. Pollard, the greatest naval man of the future. There again, I am inclined to think you are right, Captain Benson, nodded the old admiral thoughtfully. My, but I often wish I could look forward, as you may, to being alive fifty years from now, living to see what sea warfare will be like then. While Jack Benson was listening or talking, he became conscious that one of the noiseless stewards waiting at table was eyeing him keenly, even if covertly, at such times as he approached. The steward in question was brown-haired and smoothly shaven, a man of about fifty years of age who carried himself with much dignity. 
When Jack got his first good look at this man, the submarine boy felt certain that the steward's hair was dyed to its present color. There was something altogether familiar about the man's look, too, that puzzled the young Benson. Now, during a lull in the conversation, and between courses, the steward approached the table to replace young Benson's water glass, which had just been filled. As the steward reached out to set the glass down, Jack wheeled, looking straight into the man's eyes. The steward returned the look and paled, then, crash, the glass dropped from the man's fingers, breaking to fragments on the cabin floor. With a softly muttered word, the luckless steward bent, picking up the pieces of glass and beat a hasty retreat, followed by a heavy frown from the chief steward. Then, all of a sudden, it flashed through the boy's mind where he had seen this man before. Leaning toward Jacob Farnham, the submarine boy whispered, You've been trying hard to find Grace Desmond's fugitive guardian. I don't know what I wouldn't give to come up with that rascal, muttered the boat builder fervently, his eyes blazing. Then I guess you're going to have your wish, continued Jack Benson. The man who dropped the glass is Arthur Miller. Uttering an eager cry, his fist clenched, Jacob Farnham started up from his chair. End of chapter 21. Recording by Andrew E. Tebow at www.brokenriver1.blog.com.